Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Today's scripture is Psalm 96, but first let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the people. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be revered above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord is king. The world is firmly established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. The people who have walked in the darkness have seen a great light. Have seen a great light. Those who lived on a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. On them light has shined. For a child has been born for us. A son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named. And he is named. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. So this psalmist sings to us in 96. Ah, I love the Psalms. There are 150 of them, and I don't know about you. I know, well, nobody told me this. So I, I read a Psalm every single day as part of my morning devotion. I read a Psalm and then I pray about you on the prayer list. 
and so uh, I've gone through the Psalms a number of times. Uh, the book of Psalms uh, has the hymns of the Hebrew people. And this Psalm 96 is magnificent because it describes the mighty God. So here is the usual pattern for a song, for a psalm. It starts off with a summons, usually. The writer of the song starts off and summons God's people. And this is the one that starts, listen to this. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless God's name, tell of God's salvation from day to day. That is all summons. That is all call to you and to me, all of creation, to sing to the Lord a new song. Then usually after the first few verses of a summons, the follows, the psalm writer follows with a reason why. Why are we being summoned? And that's what Gloria just read beautifully. The verse says, because great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, for God is to be revered above all other gods, for all the gods of the people are idols, but God made the heavens and the earth. A summons, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all ye peoples, and then because the Lord God created the heavens and the earth, that's why this God is worthy of our praise. Then after a summons, and then after a why we are being summoned, the psalmist usually follows with what we are supposed to do. What is our response to all of this? And that's where the psalmist says, ascribe to the Lord all the families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due to God, bring an offering to God, tremble before God, we are to worship the mighty God. So on this Sunday, as we explore this name for God as the mighty God, we do well to remember that this is a God who is greater than we are, who is bigger than we are, who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. That's why we are here for worship on this day. A hundred years ago, a hundred years ago, a Austrian Jewish scholar, brilliant man named Martin Buber, wrote a book in English titled I and Thou. It became an extraordinary conversation piece all around the world. Martin Buber said in 1923 that in human existence, we basically have two relationships. We have two ways of relating to the rest of the world. The first one is the I-it relationship. The it is a thing. The it is an object. Usually for our consumption, usually for our use, for our pleasure, it's a thing. It's an object. It's an it. Martin Buber says we go through lives, and in one of our relationships, it's I-it. It's usually a thing or an object without a soul, usually inanimate. Then Martin Buber, this Jewish scholar in 1923, he also has an aside where he says, it is a dangerous and evil thing when human beings ascribe to another human being that it. It becomes evil because it becomes possible for us to destroy them. 
It's what he experienced as an Austrian Jew with the Holocaust that was to come. He escaped and went to Israel before it was a nation and taught at Hebrew University for a number of years. An I-it relationship. You may love your car, but it really is an I-it relationship. There's a function there. You may love the food we're about to eat for lunch, but that really is an it. It's a relationship, but it really is an object. It's a thing. Then Buber says also there are I-thou relationships. And the I-thou relationship is a person, is a soul, is a human, another human. It could also be a creation thing. And Buber says the greatest I-thou relationship is I and God. I and the divine thou. That is the most extraordinary relationship we can ever have in our lives. I-it, I-thou. Then other scholars, after his amazing work, continued to explore these relationships, and they added a third one, I-it, I-thou, and they added I-I, that some of us function in the world with an I-I relationship. When you do that, you project onto another human being, a thou, everything about you. You project onto them your own experiences, your own views of life, your own ways of viewing the world. It's an I-I relationship. And it's a dangerous one because you're making all kinds of assumptions and that often gets us into trouble. So when I was in seminary at McCormick Seminary in Chicago, my pastoral care professor, Dr. Homer Ashby, a brilliant and compassionate and kind man, he led us through our intro to pastoral care class. And one of the things he did was tell us not ever to say certain phrases. Two of them stick in my mind to this day, embedded in my soul. One of them is, I know exactly what you're going through. The second one is, I know exactly how you feel. Dr. Ashby says, you never say those. As a pastor, you never let those words escape your lips because it is the height of arrogance that you would claim to know someone else's life. I know exactly what you're going through. I've been through the exact same thing. That is not true, Dr. Ashby said. It cannot be true. You never say, I know exactly what you're going through. Oh, I know exactly how you feel. What you do is you sit with them and you ask them questions. And you say, tell me how you're feeling. How are you handling this? And how can I be of help to you? And then you just listen. I know exactly how you feel. I know exactly what you're going through. That's an I-I relationship. And it always leads us to trouble. So since I've joined you as one of your pastors eight years ago, part of my privilege and joy has been to officiate at weddings here in the sanctuary right down front here or in the chapel. 
I've loved this part of the journey. It's a delight. I meet with the couples ahead of time, usually once or twice, and just learn their stories. I ask, how did you meet each other? How did you fall in love? When did you first know you wanted to marry this person for the rest of your life? I love these stories. So I married a couple here in the sanctuary. It was a wonderful ceremony. I met with them twice. They had wonderful stories. I loved that. The ceremony went wonderfully well. Afterwards, they had a great reception. They went on their honeymoon. A few weeks later, I saw them back here at 11 o'clock worship, right here in the pews, over there towards the back. I was delighted to see them. I greeted them after worship, gave them a hug, and I said, hey, it's so good to see you. What a wonderful celebration we had. How are you doing? And they looked at me and they said, we're doing better now. And I said, oh, okay. Were you not doing better before? And they said, well, the, the, the marriage was great. Thank you for the ceremony. It was a lot of fun. Honeymoon was wonderful. Um, then we came back and got into the biggest fight of our relationship. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. And they said, yeah, yeah, this may sound sort of dumb, but it was over breakfast. And I said, well, you know, mealtimes. They said, no, no, it wasn't over breakfast. It was about breakfast. I said, I'm sorry, what? And it turns out that she grew up in a loving home with mom and dad who both had important careers. So breakfast for her and mom and dad and her sisters, boxes of cereal, usually milk, orange juice in the refrigerator. There was some fruit around somewhere. Um, you sort of fended for yourself. From a little kid all the way through, you just got downstairs and you got some cereal, got a bowl, and you got some milk, orange juice, whatever you wanted, and then you ate breakfast. Then you went on your way. He grew up in a loving home. Mom was a homemaker. She stayed at home. Dad went to his work. He, little brother, little sister, every single morning, for the four of them, Mom made a hot breakfast every single morning, pancakes and sausage every single morning, omelets made to order every single morning, scrambled eggs, bacon. She would make fresh biscuits more often than not every single morning. They come back from their honeymoon. You can see this is coming. I know you can see it. <laughs> they come back from their honeymoon. They have a wonderful honeymoon. They come back. They're in their condo over in Brookside. She's the early riser. They know that. She gets up, gives him a kiss, and says, hey, I'm making breakfast. He said, great, babe. Thank you. She goes downstairs. He dozes off, wakes up after a few minutes, and thinks, huh, odd. I don't smell anything. <laughs> goes downstairs. His lovely, beautiful wife, reading on her iPad, has a bowl of cereal, milk, orange juice on the counter, has some fruit there. She put a bowl out for him, spoon, has some chopped up fruit sitting there. He comes down, looks at her and says, where's breakfast? <laughs> and she, thinking he's being playful, adores this man, said yes, richer, poorer, sickness, health, right? Says, right here. <laughs> and he says, no. That's not breakfast. And now she realizes he's serious. And she says, I'm sorry, what? He said, everyone knows this is not breakfast. You said you were making breakfast. I expect breakfast. 
And she said, this is breakfast. And he said, no, this is a lie. This is not breakfast. (laughs) Back there in the narthex, they said to me, "Uh, in the future, you might want to cover breakfast. I, I. Do you see it? Do you see it? I, I. When you project on the other person all of who you are and you don't give the other person a room to be thou, room to be who they are, created in God's image, it becomes dangerous for us, especially when we replace God, the divine thou, with ourselves. The psalmist reminds us, sings the Lord a new song, sing for joy all the earth, because God is God, and you are not. You may think you are, but you are not. And Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. You may think you are, but you are not. When you come to worship, you are about to encounter the mighty God. And that encounter will change your whole life. So American writer Annie Dillard, she writes with wisdom, the pilgrim at Tinker Creek, teaching a stone to talk. Dillard is the one who writes, I just don't understand these Christians. When they come to worship, they come dressed so lovely, comfortably. They want to make sure there's a cushion in their pews. Don't they understand? When they come to worship, they should not be given a worship bulletin. They shouldn't be greeted with a smile by Joanne and our ushers back there. They should be given crash helmets when you walk into this space. There shouldn't be cushions in our pews. There should be seat belts. You should have to strap yourself in because you in this hour are about to encounter the mighty God. And your life will never be the same. How dare we arrogant followers of Jesus? Yeah, you know, I got this story. Oh, I love the Christmas story. I know the story. No, you really don't. Because in two weeks' time, the mighty God is going to appear yet once again in our lives. And we will be changed, not because of us, but because of the power and the strength and the grace of the mighty God. So wait and expect and anticipate. Just wait. You will be surprised. In these next two weeks, you will. Who knows? It could be about breakfast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org 
and we invite you to join us again next week.